going to say that most of the listeners to this podcast would delight in the idea of locally grown organic veg, freshly harvested and delivered to your door. What does it take to make this happen? Is it scalable? Is it even really viable? Two summers ago, I visited one of only four local organic growers and suppliers in our county. Green Growers is an organic market garden in the heart of rural East Yorkshire. Gwen has over 25 years' experience of growing organically and a background in soil science. After an excellent lunch of fresh soup and homemade bread, we headed out to the small holding for both a guided tour and a discussion of ultra-local growing. This is a tour of a working establishment, so expect some extraneous noise and some variable sound levels. I do nearly all of my selling by delivery, but some people do actually come and pick up orders from here. And I also have a, a stall outside, and I do supply some things to Arthur Street Trading, you know. Yeah. Is Arthur Street the only wholesale supplying that you do? Well, I suppose at the moment, yes. I do supply a shop in Bridlington, but that's only with salads. I used to supply Not Nettle, a restaurant in Bridlington, but they don't order from us anymore. But one of the other things that I do is um, I produce quite a lot of fresh herbs and I also grow herbs and sell them. So I sell plants in pots. They're all herbs or useful plants in one way or another. So not just ordinary garden plants. Um, And I sell these to my veg customers, but also to any passing trade. So that's kind of another string to what I do. I also do um, all sorts of different composting. This, for instance, is a worm bin. So this is where some of the household refuse goes. This is the packing shed, so a lot of our produce freshly harvested in here. I know Arthur Street are supplying from external suppliers, particularly you. Are you bringing in supplies from other suppliers? Yeah, I supply Arthur Street with their Whole Foods and I, and any surplus that I've got, which is usually salads. But both Arthur Street and I, we have supplies from uh, Organic Pantry. So that's an organic wholesaler. I also, I get stuff from Jenny Webb, another local producer. She brings tomatoes, but obviously the lemons, not locally grown, so that's from pantry. But the chard, the apples, the beans, the plums, spring onions, courgettes, marrows, cherry tomatoes, they're all mine. Mm. And so do you only have one other... Or get for, uh, for veg local, and fruit, yes. Yeah, local, local organic supplier, yeah. As in um, local, yeah, there yeah. is only one in who supplies us in this area. And then in terms of sales, is that mainly veg boxes? Well, people can buy veg, fruit, herbs, whole foods from me. I publish a list every week. Some people just order from the list. And then some people just say, oh, send me an £8 box or a £12 box. Um, but my boxes are very flexible. I don't do a standard box. I do tailor-made boxes for right. each individual customer. So I would take account of how many people there are in the house, whether they like salad, whether they're vegetarian or not, to kind of judge what things they would like and what things they wouldn't like. Whereas Arthur Street, they, they do standard boxes. 
Um, my system's a lot kind of more complicated, but it does offer a, a service to a customer. It means that they can get exactly what they want. Uh, one of the things that I specialise in is mixed salad. So some of the things that are growing here, like the French sorrel and the chives, they're going in the salads. Then any other space, I've got lots of herbs growing here, beans as well. So it's always buzzing with insects. I aim for biodiversity as much as possible. So I've got flowers and herbs and veg all mixed up. And then this is um, a little orchard. So um, I grow quite a lot of soft fruit. And when I have plenty of that, I would supply that to Arthur Street as well. So this is gooseberries, plum tree, apple trees. Uh, and then this is the greenhouse. So this is where I raise all the plants and the herb plants and everything before they go out. I also have some heat in this greenhouse so I can raise things early. Here is a different type of compost. We have plenty of hedges and uh, woody things that need cutting down and shredding. And we shred that down and put it in these big heaps. And then when that's rotted down, the, the woody material rots down. It takes a year or two. And then I sieve it and I end up with this stuff, which is basically, this is my peat substitute. So that I use as the foundation of my potting compost. So I make my own potting compost. So that's the basis of it, but I also add various other composts, including leaf mould and worm compost, some organic fertiliser, some lime, and um, wood ash as well. And then I end up with, and I add sand, so I end up with that, which is my potting compost. So all of my plants are raised in potting compost which is produced on my own holding. Mm. So I'm not buying in yeah. any peat. So it's all sustainable, which is great, but it's a lot of work mm. to do it. Yeah. And then I have um, the polytunnels. So that extends the season, you know, in the spring and the autumn. How much of an extension do you get? Well, it means, for instance, like I use them a lot for the salads. It means I can produce salads all the year round. It means that I can put those long season things in, can get them going early, like tomatoes and things like that. And it means that you can overwinter things that would otherwise die. But, of course, you also get the increased heat, so things grow faster. And when it comes to things like salads because they're under cover and they just grow in a more tender way because they're not buffeted by the wind all the time. I do have a rotation in each of the polytunnels, so we don't, you don't have the same crop growing in the same place each year. That's, for instance, this fennel. That goes in the salad. This is a plant called buckshorn plantain. Right, that goes in the salad. This is red vein sorrel. This is chard. Again, chard, that, that would go in a salad. Mm. That's uh, endive. 
parsley. Again, I would put parsley in the salad. My salads at the moment are, are suffering a bit because all the brassicas have been eaten by by flea beetle. So I'm having to do the salads without the brassicas. So lots of different herbs. And I also put in my salads calendula flour, which is edible. So the, flour, the, the salads are always quite pretty as well. This is mostly lettuce, but as you can see, a lot of it's bolted. We've just planted up some of this yesterday. So it's looking a bit sorry for itself. Hopefully it'll pick up. Is that bolting because of the heat, or was it just the time it's of season? It's partly the heat, but, I mean, they just do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, this is orac, bits of that in the salad as well. Though I aim to grow lots of sort of unusual things. Uh, courgettes and things on this side and French beans growing here. Course, yeah, I had an interesting one the other day where someone was offering to give away veg and they said yes, as long as it's not courgette. Yeah. <laughs> if you've if you got courgettes, then uh, either you've got too many or too little. Just out of interest, are they a popular veg? I wouldn't say they're the most popular... But yeah, no, we sell. Yeah, they're a popular veg. Yeah, we sell quite a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think it might have just been that if you ask for ex, if you're a charity asking for excess veg from allotments, mm. come this time of year, it's going to be probably like ninety percent courgette. Isn't it, it would, yeah, and yeah. marrows. Marrows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, marrows are even more limited, really, than courgette. Uh, more compost heaps here. Yeah. That's just a sort of standard garden compost. Mm -hmm. So that all gets recycled and goes back onto um, so those big sacks, the builder's sacks. That was completed compost. So every time I'm planting something new, I'll put some compost down. We also, as you can see here, we do, we mulch whatever we can. So all underneath these bean plants, they're all mulched. That's to sort of protect from too much moisture loss. And it's all recycling everything back into... So what I'm doing is a lot about soil regeneration mm. as well. And one of the techniques that we're using is all of the areas where we don't grow anything, like the grass paths, they all have lots of clover in them. That's fixing nitrogen. Mm. So when we cut the grass, we use the grass as a mulch on yeah. the crops, and that all gets then recycled back into... So it's almost like this is our kind of fallow area, but we're taking the nutrients off that and putting it on our growing area. And yeah. again, that's going to kind of enrich the soil. Yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, that heap here is actually... This is a kind of compost that I make just from sedge, juncus and nettles because it makes a fibrous compost. And that balances quite well the woody material that I use. So this is my outdoor growing area. I've got it all in raised beds. It makes it much easier to manage. And you see that I have on the paths, that's the uh, shredded woody material. So that goes on the paths. And then every two or three years, after that's been well trodden down and composted even more, Mm. That then gets thrown onto the beds and then new stuff gets put down. Yeah. So again, that's recycling everything back into the soil yeah. and hopefully building up soil carbon, which is what soil regeneration is all about. 
right. getting some more carbon into the soil, which is actually potentially taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And what kind of soil do you have here, then? It's not particularly good soil. Oh, what's the, what are these, by the way? Quince. Quince, I thought they might be, but yeah. I didn't want to uh, presume. Yeah. Are the quince part of the offer in autumn? Uh, if they come to anything, yeah. they don't always. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so even in my growing areas, I also mix up with flowers and herbs and things um, to bring in the beneficial insects and, you know, to increase biodiversity. Mm-hmm. Um so I have a lot of soft fruits as well. So in terms of the herbs that you're, or the herbs and salad things that you're yeah. going into the salads, yeah, are the outdoor herbs going to the salads as well? Sometimes, yeah, Sometimes. I would use some of that. Uh, well, there's, there's French sorrel here. Yeah. There's chard. There's um, um, parsley. I often grow outdoor rocket and things like that. But this year it's just been hopeless because of the flea beetle. Yeah. You can see with the, the fruit bushes, you know, they're all mulched with cardboard and whatever else I can lay my hands on, partly to stop the weeds, but also to build up the soil carbon in the end. Comfrey. Oh, yes, of course. So this is the liquid feed that I yeah. make. That is the comfrey plant. Mm-hmm. So that's what we harvest because the comfrey plant is good because it's very low fibre, so it decomposes to a liquid. There's no residue. And also, it has incredibly strong, deep tap roots, so it's actually bringing minerals up from the subsoil, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of mining bits that you can't otherwise reach. Mm -hmm. That's why it's high in uh, potash. And it's a really, really tough plant, so it can stand being cut three times a year it won't die Um, so those are the qualities that you need to make a good liquid feed you can make a liquid feed out of nettles but nettles are the opposite they're very fibrous so if you make a feed out of nettles you have to add water whereas with comfrey you just put it into the container and weight it down Make sure it's airtight and you have a hole at the bottom and your liquid, this was collected yesterday so there's not much left, Um, your liquid drips into there. We use a stick in the hole to keep the hole open, otherwise it tends to sort of block up. So that's the comfrey liquid, we use that for feeding tomatoes and cucumbers and things like that, Mm. but I also sell it so I have... Quite, I've built up a, a good trade for it over the last 30 years and uh, we sell quite a lot of it. Can you hear it dripping? Oh, I can as well. <laughs> we do get some liquid off the, uh, the worm compost as well yeah. and that, that's a good nitrogen feed as well. We find grass snakes in the, in the compost heaps. Mm. Um, and they, they are laying their eggs in the compost heaps. We have to be careful when we dig out a compost heap. Um, if we find the eggs, mm. we put them into the next compost heap. Right, yeah. And it was quite 
nice. The last compost heap that I dug out, I found loads of these mm. eggs, but they were all empty. And, I mean, as you see, we've got compost heaps everywhere, so everything possible gets recycled. Either we put it in the compost heap or we use it as a mulch yeah. on top of things. So every, all the nutrients are being recycled as much as possible. So come autumn and then into winter, what is the difference in terms of how much of your veg grown here ends up in the veg boxes or in the... Um, right, well, at the, in, in the summer, mm. um, then it's a good proportion of what I sell, maybe not 50%, but not far off will be my own stuff. But in winter, you're down to leeks if you have them, artichokes. Um, I do still manage to do the salads. Um, but that's kind of about it. Um, apples, if, if I manage to keep them for storage. So it's very seasonal. I can't really see any way around that. Not without being much... You see, I mean, you, you can see what I'm doing is really quite small scale. Mm. If you're bigger scale, you've maybe got the facilities for keeping things. Mm. For instance, I don't grow carrots. I don't grow onions. I don't mm. grow those staples. Is there a reason why you don't grow staples? Well, I do grow potatoes now. Yeah. I didn't used to. But I grow potatoes now because it's not all that much work once you get them in. I don't grow onions because they never do well here. Okay. I don't grow carrots. It's a bit risky and because other people can grow fields full of carrots. Mm. But I do grow parsnips because I find the parsnips, if I buy them in, they don't keep for very long and they're often not very good quality. Mm. So if I've got my own and I grow beetroot, I grow chard because, again, if you buy chard in, it's a leafy thing, it doesn't travel well, yeah. it's not a good quality for the customer, whereas if you grow your own... Like I've picked chard today, that'll go in the boxes tomorrow, mm. so it'll be fresh. I don't know how I make my decisions, really. I, it's by what will grow. Yeah. It's by what will add value to the customer. And, of course, when you're growing on a small scale, it's value as well. I grow a lot of French beans, mm. which farmers don't tend to do. I mean, a, a farmer can grow a field full of carrots, yeah. can't he, and do it in a mechanised way. But beans, it's a different proposition. So I'm then adding in something that yeah. otherwise people yeah. probably wouldn't be able to have. Yeah, and uh, do you find that, again, beans are one of those things that don't actually... Fresh fresh French beans don't actually keep that well. No, they don't. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I've at other times I'm often buying in French beans and they come from Spain mm. and they're not always picked at the yeah. right time. You yeah. know, they're over-mature... They've been kept too long, so they're dry yeah. and not very nice. It, it's a really big problem. The whole kind of supply chain for vegetables is not easy. And I don't know whether for the organic supply chain suffers because obviously it's much, much less mm. than the conventional and therefore there's possibly less refrigeration and so therefore there could be more quality issues. Although to be fair, I won't buy beans from a supermarket. 
under any circumstances because they're never good enough, even if they've been shipped express delivery. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't, they are again something that mm. needs to be like a couple of days old maximum, and then and they they are much older than that. So in ter- mm. yeah, in terms of that supply chain, organic and local, really, if it's genuinely local on a small scale, whether it's organic or not, does that mean that literally it has to be just picked and delivered? There's no there's nothing in between that can retard the ripening and the degeneration of the veggies there. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? If if something is locally grown, harvested the day before you get it, yeah. the quality is just going to be so much more than uh, something that's been bought in. But there just isn't enough of it. You know, of organic veg that's being supplied in this area. As far as I know... There's a, an operation at Frith Farm in Beverly. There's Rise, there's me, and there's Jenny at Foston. And we're all getting old. And where it's going to be in ten years' time, I don't know. I have a bet with Graham sometimes how long we're going to last. Because uh, he's finding it all very hard work. Yes, well, him being one of my contemporaries, I uh, mm. know exactly what you mean. Mm. Mm. At the beginning of this episode, I described green growers as one of four regional organic growers. This was the case then, but not now. I don't know how the bet was structured, so I don't know who won or lost, but Graham from Arthur Street Trading at Rise Garden gave up not long after this interview. If you want to know more about Arthur Street Trading, check out the case studies that were the origins of this podcast episode. You can find the written-up case studies at wholefoodpartnership.org.uk And if you want to check out the original recordings, visit YouTube and search for Veg Cities Hull. This is where you'll find extended interviews and photographs of the herbs, veggies and various compost heaps that we discussed. Thank you for listening to the Eat the System podcast. This podcast is produced by Whole Food Partnership in association with Creative Projects Limited. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'll think you'll love the podcast Savouring Change. It's from the Brighton and Hove Food Partnership. You'll find it wherever you usually listen to your podcasts or visit their website bhfood.org.uk.